Um, so I have the great pleasure of welcoming our guest speaker. So this is, I told her I was going to call it the very right Reverend Rachel Brownson. <laughs> Rachel went to Western Theological Seminary. She's ordained in the RCA, which is the Reformed Church of America. She also has her MFA in poetry. So there's not very often you get to hear somebody with an MDiv as well as somebody who has a master's in poetry. So Rachel is a congregant here. She's also a chaplain at Mott's Children's Hospital and has been doing that job, I think, for eight years. Oh, four at Mott. Four at Mott, okay, but doing chaplaincy in different places. So she's a native Michigander, and I was just really thrilled that she agreed to come and speak to us today. So let's give her a warm welcome. feel very high up up here. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. I don't get to preach very often since I'm a chaplain. We don't do a whole lot of preaching. That kind of is a sign of bad chaplaincy when you're preaching at somebody. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, I've been working uh, in uh, hospital chaplaincy at Mott uh, for about four years. It'll be five in September. Um, and I spend my work days wandering the pediatric intensive care unit, um, the children's emergency room, um, basically all throughout Mott. And I talk with and I care for and I pray with the patients, the families, and the staff who take care of them. Because of this, because of the emotional intensity of hanging out every day with the sickest children in a 20-mile radius, chaplains have to be really good at thinking about self-care. Though I haven't been coming here very long, some of you who serve communion may recognize me as that person who always cries when she comes to take communion. So not all of us are great at self-care, but we try. So to begin uh, talking about self-care with you guys in the context of loving our neighbor, I'd like to start with a story from Exodus that doesn't get a whole lot of play in the church, or at least not in my church. I'll set the scene before I read it, since it's not as a familiar story as others. So as the story begins, Moses and the people of Israel have escaped from Egypt and they've crossed the Red Sea into freedom, led by God. They've sung their songs of relief and gratitude and praise. They've grumbled to Moses about bitter water and the lack of food, and God has answered them with sweet water and manna and quail. They've quarreled with Moses about water to the point where he was afraid that they were going to stone him, and God has answered with water from a rock that Moses struck with his staff. They fended off an attack by the Amalekites, a defense that almost failed because it depended on Moses' ability to keep his hands raised. It only succeeded when Aaron and Hur came to hold his hands up for him. They've not yet reached Mount Sinai, and at some point after uh, going into Egypt, Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his sons to be with his father-in-law Jethro. And when this story begins, they and Jethro have rejoined Moses as Israel wanders in the wilderness. So I'll read it to you now. The next day Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing with the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. 
You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God, teach them the statutes and instructions, and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. You should also look for able men among the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. So I don't know about you guys, but as a chaplain, I'm kind of sick of talking about self-care. <laughs> At least the way that we in our culture tend to talk about self-care, which tends to have a consumeristic bent. After a long day at the hospital, after witnessing grief and death and prayers that seem to have gone unanswered, coming home to a bubble bath and a glass of wine and beautiful music playing will probably feel pretty nice, but it's not going to clear away the effects of the trauma that I saw. A good cry as I snuggle my cat under a warm quilt next to a scented candle will release some of those feelings, but they won't take them away, and I still have to go to work the next day. Going for a run outside the river alongside my house, feeling the sun on my back and the cool air filling my lungs will help me feel strong and capable, but it still doesn't give me the strength or the ability to fix the things I see every day that have gone terribly wrong. Even if you're not in close contact with intense trauma every day, if you're keeping your eyes open to the people and the world around you, if you're reading the news, if you're seeking to help the people you can, if you're praying for the people who need prayer, if you're seeking to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and caring for others, you are going to be seeing things and feeling things that cannot be soothed or fixed by getting a massage, climbing a mountain, or treating yourself to a salted caramel. That's great. <laughs> Emily took us through the parable of the Good Samaritan last week, and we learned that to care for our neighbor can be costly to us in many ways. To allow ourselves to truly see the pain that our neighbors all around us are experiencing is to open ourselves to the pain of the whole suffering human race and the pain of the earth in which we live. This is what it means to love our neighbor. I bring you the story of Jethro and Moses because I think it serves as a corrective to the way we tend to talk about self-care. The kind of self-care that enables us to love our suffering neighbors our whole lives long is less about doing nice things for ourselves than it is about coming to know ourselves and our limits, planting ourselves in communities that can share the burden of caring, and connecting again with God who is the source of all care and the source of our call to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Jethro enters this story as someone with an outside perspective on the conflicted relationship between Moses and the people of God. But he is also someone who isn't without some skin in the game. Jethro brings with him his daughter Zipporah 
and his grandchildren, Gershom and Eliezer, who are rejoining their husband and father after a long time apart. As he watches Moses surrounded by the people from morning to evening, judging and teaching and bringing concerns to God and settling disputes and arguing and praying, I imagine his head turning to Zipporah and Gershom and Eliezer and wondering whether it was a good idea to bring them back to Moses. What good is a person to their family if they can't take five minutes away to be with them? There's a reason pastor's kids have a reputation for being a little different. I can say this because I am one. I am the daughter and granddaughter and great-granddaughter of pastors on both sides of my family, which makes me pretty weird. (laughs) Pastors are notorious for attending to their congregations at the direct expense of caring for their families. Even as their families suffer from the elevated level of scrutiny that they receive as spouses and children of pastors. I've known many children of pastors to leave the faith entirely, even as their parent carefully tends to the growing faith of the other kids in the church. We all have responsibilities to people who depend on us, even if we're not pastors, even if we don't have spouses or children. Our responsibility to care for our neighbor doesn't cancel out those responsibilities. Yes, it's important not to overprivilege our blood connections, our marital connections, but we can't shirk the responsibilities we have to the people who depend on us just because there are pressing needs all around us. If this feels like a heavy burden, that's because it is. The routine of our burdens becomes a very powerful thing. We drop into the rhythms of caregiving, of work, and volunteering, and church, and praying, and family, and mission, and cooking, and loving. And years later, we look around us to find that somehow we're at the very end of our strength. Everything feels so important that there's nothing we can drop. And either we fall apart, or we scramble around like dizzy squirrels in the face of an oncoming car. Our family falls by the wayside, or our work does, or our ability to care for our neighbor. Sometimes it's our faith in God that breaks. If you're in this spot right now, as we all tend to be a little bit from time to time, it can be hard to see the way forward. Moses was in this spot. Leading those Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness sounds like the worst job ever, ever squeezed between God and the people of God, beset by physical problems like lack of food and water, afraid for his safety when the people got angry, separated from his family by distance and the demands of leadership. Moses pushed himself farther and farther, working day and night, because all of those needs were absolutely urgent and absolutely necessary and absolutely tied to his vocation as a messenger of God. It took a foreigner like Jethro someone seeing Moses from an outside perspective, to make clear to him that he somehow couldn't see himself, that he couldn't bear these burdens alone. I live alone, and as an introvert, I spend a lot of time alone, just kind of keeping my head down and getting my work done. Three years ago, as I was settling in at Mott, I was also beginning uh, my MFA in writing uh, in a distance learning program. At the beginning of one of my semesters, I was chatting with some friends about the workload, and uh, I listed off all the responsibilities I was juggling. Full-time intensive care chaplaincy, on-call nights every week, 20 to 30 hours a week of MFA work, 
the perpetual work of trying to get my writing published, weekend trips to Holland, Michigan to take care of ailing grandparents, and all the while trying and failing to find a community for myself in Ann Arbor. I looked around the room at my friends' faces, all of them completely aghast, and I suddenly saw myself. I thought I'd been juggling all those things, and though none of them had fallen yet, I saw through their eyes that no human can do all that forever. Maybe for a little while, but something was bound to crack. Sometimes we need someone else to see us for us, and to tell us what our souls knew but our brains didn't. So what do we do when some Jethro has done us the favor of opening our eyes to the ways we've stretched ourselves? The task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone, Jethro says to Moses, and generously outlines a plan for Moses to begin to hand off power and responsibility to members of his community. And as Moses takes Jethro's advice, together he and the people of Israel go from being an itinerant band of followers to an actual society, an interdependent society that can survive the failings of one imperfect person. And Moses, the man who in a rage smashed the tablets of the law written by God's own hand on Sinai, Moses was not perfect. One of the hardest things for us to learn sometimes in our quest to love our neighbor is that we can't always fix everything on our own and that oftentimes we shouldn't. Sometimes we identify so completely with our role as helper that we forget to look clearly at those we're helping. The people of Israel were standing around Moses in their thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens from morning until night uh, as he judged between them and taught them about the will of God. There couldn't have been time for everyone to learn, to receive justice. Moses was so wrapped up in the uniqueness of his role as intercessor between the people and God that he was stunting their growth as the people of God. Refusing to share the burden of loving our neighbor with others who could help us in that work keeps the people you're caring for from growing in their own capacity for faith and care and loving their neighbors. Respect and love for our neighbors includes respect for their own ability to grow and to care. Not every one of those judges that Moses picked would have been as attuned to God's presence as Moses was. Not every judge would teach the exact same way as Moses would. But how could they grow in those things if Moses kept swooping in and doing it for them? When we endeavor to love our neighbor, self-care means not only sharing the burden with people who can help, but it also means seeking to magnify the effects of the love we can bring by giving others a chance to love alongside us. This is especially important to remember when people of privilege are trying to help oppressed people. We think we can swoop in and fix everything, but we forget that the people we're trying to help have skills and resources and talents and might have better ideas about what might help than ours. Self-care means knowing that the best help comes from communities of care, not only because they can share the burden together, but because each person brings a unique set of resources to each opportunity to love our neighbors. Only Moses could be Moses, but only Miriam could be Miriam. And only Aaron could be Aaron. This all still sounds kind of hard, right? (laughs) Maybe that's one of the reasons I get sick of talking about self-care. Bubble baths and sea salt caramels don't sound that hard. But remembering my responsibilities to the people around me and to my own sanity 
building around me communities that can share the burden of caring with me, that stuff is hard. Self-care is work. It brings us relief, yes, it lessens our burdens, but it takes a lot of humility and a big change in the way we're used to doing things. So what happens when even the work of self-care feels like one more burden you have to carry? There's one thing about Jethro in the text of Exodus that the text doesn't mention outright, but I think it's clearly part of the story. So Moses met Jethro's daughter Zipporah as he was fleeing from Egypt after killing an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. Moses, living now in exile, married Zipporah, and he was tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro when he came to Mount Horeb and encountered the presence of God in the burning bush and received his call to liberate the people of Israel. Jethro wasn't just someone with fresh eyes to see how Moses had overextended himself. He was not just a foreigner with good advice about sharing the burdens of power, not just a father and grandfather concerned about the care of his daughter and grandsons. But Jethro was a walking reminder to Moses of the moment when he encountered God in the holy ground before the burning bush, the moment God reached out and reshaped his life completely. Jethro's presence in that wilderness called Moses back to the defining experience of his life, that defining encounter with God. So talking about self-care tends to get really practical. Tell me your strategies. How often do you see your therapist? Where do you build in time and your schedule? <laughs> Building community. That's when self-care feels like one more thing you have to manage, and it stops feeling like care at all. At times like these, it's easy to forget about the presence of God, the whole reason why we set out to wander in the wilderness, why we set out to love our neighbor in the first place. And at times like these, it becomes imperative to remember those moments of presence and to draw strength both from those memories and from the presence of God in our lives now. And sometimes God is merciful and sends us a Jethro to remind us. I remember one particular day in my work when I was feeling completely tapped out and overstretched. It had been a terrible week. Two teenagers I'd been following for months had died, and I was just done. I was done. I walked the hallways of the hospital, feeling like I had nothing left to give these people who had such overwhelming needs, and I found it increasingly hard to walk into each successive hospital room until I just gave up and hid in my office and played Minesweeper for about an hour, which made me feel like I was abandoning everyone on my floors at once. My pager went off, as it often does at such times, and I sighed and I walked upstairs to answer the call, expecting to have to summon some sort of inhuman strength to get through whatever was waiting for me there. What was waiting for me there was a seven-year-old boy who was the sibling of a patient. I came into the room and his mom looked pleadingly at me and said, he has so many questions about God and I need to make some phone calls. Could you please talk to him? I looked at this desperate looking mom, then over to the kid, whose open face bloomed back at me like a sunflower, and I said yes. We sat down to color in the playroom and he immediately launched into his questions, which were as follows. Is Jesus a zombie because he died and then rose from the dead? <laughs> Did God 
send the Bible down on a lightning bolt because how did it get from heaven to here? Do you think God looks like Thor from the movie Thor? Because I think he looks like Thor from the movie Thor. <laughs> and do you think when you die, you can sometimes come back to visit Earth if you want? And just like that, I remembered why I do what I do. I remembered being seven and having those kinds of questions about God, though maybe not those exact questions about God. And I remember that providing a place to play with notions about God and what it means to be human, and even in the face of great pain, is a source of joy for me. That's what sustains me in my work. I sat and colored with that kid for about an hour and a half, and though the grief was still with me when I left, I had remembered God, and I could carry it a little while longer. Jesus famously withdrew from the crowds that followed him from time to time during his ministry. It must have been overwhelming for him, the packs of Pharisees and Sadducees trying to catch him in a mistake, the disciples constantly missing the entire point, the people who hungered for his message, the people who were sick or carried demons inside them or who had lost their children, all of them, all of them, desperately needing his help. One day, Jesus heard about the violent death of his friend, John the Baptist, and in his grief, retreated from the crowd to a deserted place. To retreat from that crowd was to not heal people who desperately needed healing. To retreat from that crowd was to abandon, if only for a time, people who were desperate for the kingdom. To retreat from that crowd was to retreat from the pressing needs of his neighbor. The more you think about it, it gets harder and harder to understand. How many people with leprosy stayed sick because he went away? How many children with fevers or demons or seizures didn't receive his healing touch? He must have known the cost of each retreat, but he retreated all the same. There's a mantra I tell myself when I'm beginning to feel stretched at the hospital. I say to myself, if you let it, the hospital will take everything you have, and it will not be enough. Yeah. It's kind of a depressing mantra. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes me feel better. It's true. I think the way Jesus would put it is, the poor you always have with you. The needs of this world are bottomless. The systems of power that oppress the powerless are vast, beyond the power of any one of us alone to stop them. So if we are to love to the best of our ability, we have to love ourselves too, by stepping back now and then, reaching out to those who can see we've stretched too far, sharing burdens in our communities and finding solace in those communities and in our God. When our hearts are alive to the suffering around us, doing this feels like we are abandoning a hurting world. But if we run ourselves into the ground to the point where we can't feel that love anymore, then we will truly have abandoned a hurting world and our hurting selves. People of God, the world will drain you of everything if you let it. Not one of us alone has enough love for all our neighbors. But the good news is that God is here God sends us Jethro's to tell us when things need to change. God plants us in communities that can share the burdens of love together. 
God sends us little boys who are obsessed with the movie Thor to remind us why we do what we do. And God sent us Jesus, who in his life showed us what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. So as we put one foot in front of the other, sometimes shaky, sometimes hesitant, sometimes confident, and carry on in our bumbling, beautiful attempts at that kind of love, may God bless each one of us in our journeys. Thank you, Rachel. I knew she was going to be good. <laughs> Just a feeling, a gut feeling. So what we usually do now are two minutes of silence, and I would like to go ahead and do that. And so what we're going to do during this two minutes, you know, she was preaching, I was thinking, maybe we could just spend this time, every one of us has burdens, and we can just hold those out to God and just ask God to see them and to look at us and to give us strength for them. And where it's appropriate, ask him to send you a Jethro or some wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and revelation for how you can share that burden with those who are around you. So it doesn't matter if it's perfectly silent. People and babies make noise. I'll keep my eye on the time and let's just invite the spirit to come in this space. Come Lord Jesus. Sometimes phones make noise too. <laughs> it's all right. Give us strength and wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.